Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest vodcast. And this will be a musculoskeletal trauma, what I called a new look at a classic application. And I gave this talk, or I put it together for the ESI meeting this past weekend, which is the last weekend in October. So it's hot off the presses. So if we look at some of the basic principles, why do we use CT in the evaluation of trauma? Uh, plain films are the most common thing to use, but sometimes plain films are indeterminate and you want to clarify things more and a CT works wonderful. Sometimes plain films are negative, but you have a lot of complaints from the patient. The patient may have fallen, it may be an old elderly patient, patient is in severe pain, can't move the hip, you don't see a fracture, CT is very good. Again. High clinical suspicion, but normal plain films might be one way of explaining it. And more and more, depending on the mode of injury, CT is the first and usually only study that needs to be done. Think about a motor vehicle accident and worrying about a spine injury. If you had did a C-spine and it was negative, you still would do a CT. If you did a C-spine, it might not be negative, might not be positive, might be indeterminate to do a CT. It's positive, you do a CT. So CT is the way to go. And more and more with trauma being such an important focus in the ER setting, it's not just isolated skeletal trauma we're evaluating. We're evaluating a patient in an MVA where you're thinking about abdominal injury, a thoracic injury, or a C-spine injury, a thoracic spine injury. So it's part of a multi-organ examination. Another reason we use CT is we know the patient has a fracture, but you want to do surgical planning versus potentially conservative management or delayed surgery. And CT is so much better in helping define specific management uh, protocols for patients. And we've looked at this in a number of different ways. Here was an article looking at the foot from a couple of years ago, talking about not only defining the extent of a fracture or dislocation, but communication of the information to the orthopedic surgeon for treatment planning. So a lot of what we do in orthopedic trauma is not just diagnosis, but very heavy into the management aspect of things. As I mentioned, as CT got faster, um, we're often the only study done in select instances of trauma. Um, again, as I said, coordination becomes very important. I'll speak about that in terms of designing protocols, which we'll talk about in a moment. Uh, the mode of injury will often determine what's involved. So it's one thing to say you have a fractured femur. It's another thing to say the fracture is because you were hit by a bullet, and then you worry about vascular injury as well. And so how we design the studies, the use of CTA, for example, is going to become very important. So simple things is we scan patients one time. The scanners are so good, you can do a very fast scan. You can do a flash scan and do chest, abdomen, and pelvis in a little more than a couple seconds. But then you target reconstruction. So in this case where there was suspected renal injury, there was none, but there's some soft tissue between the aorta and the spine. And when you look at the sagittal views, you have a burst fracture of the thoracic spine, lower thoracic spine, and very nicely shown on these images, Okay. Um, actually, it's the lumbar spine at L1, nevertheless, same principle. But you have this fracture, okay? And so we need to really go back and take a good look and make certain we target each component of the examination. And although you were thinking about the kidney, you got to look at the spine. And it was hard to see in the axial views, but sagittal views become very critical, and 3D mapping indeed becomes very critical. So this whole way of thinking about things, single exam, Multiple reconstructions will need to be done and sometimes read by different people. In terms of spinal trauma, it's about 3 to 6% of all skeletal injuries. It's complex, as this article describes. 
and makes the point that CT is vastly superior to plain films in terms of speed and accuracy. In many trauma centers, CT has replaced plain film as the primary mode for evaluating spinal trauma. And we agree 100%. So now, knowing what we can do, how does that impact how we design protocols? Well, one thing to consider is we're essentially always going to do NPR or 3D imaging on every case, which means you always need thin sections. Vascular involvement, Again, mode of injury, stab wound, um, gunshot wound, you're always thinking about vessel injury. But even some of the other trauma settings, it pays to give IV contrast. And remember, we don't want to scan the patient twice, so perhaps it's easier giving IV than repeating a scan. So things I think about for IV contrast, the site of injury, the type of injury, physical exam, lab results, is there a drop in hematocrit? And so when I think I worry about vessels, then it's just a matter of making the decisions how we do the protocol. And so typical thing, four to five cc's a second, 100 to 120 cc's of Omni 350 typically, depending on the scenario where we're scanning, the, the uh, scan delay will be variable from 15 seconds, but more commonly about 25 to 30 seconds, up to 60 seconds. And what I mean by that is if you're shot in the foot or the ankle or distal lower extremity, then the delay time is longer than if you were shot in the abdomen or in the pelvis. Most of the time we do a single phase acquisition and occasionally we'll do a second acquisition. Again, depends on the injury or the questions we have to answer. And ideally we're injecting in the antecubital fossa. Regardless of a scanner type, you want thin sections, 0.75 by 0.5 millimeters. Even when you're using dual source scanning, again, the point I made a few moments ago, we're always gonna be doing reconstructions. So scan like you are gonna be doing reconstructions. And things we used to do before, at 16 slides or less, which was often scanning in two planes for small parts like the wrist or foot, it's no longer necessary. That with volume acquisition, particularly at 64 slides or better, there's no need to do multiple acquisitions. Single acquisition with post-processing is all you need to do. In fact, People have even said, perhaps you don't need the axials, look only at the coronals and sagittals. That would save you time, it would save storage costs. This article did look at it by Begman and made the point that most of the time looking only at coronal and sagittal will work fine. But in reality, at the end of the day, you need to look at the coronal and sagittal, but you need to also analyze the axial images. Axials still give good information, and again, it's putting all three of them together and then adding the 3D usually that makes all the difference in the world. And you can see by this article by Lucy, in conclusion, NPR and 3D in patients with trauma alleviate performing radiography of the lumbar spine, dedicated thin collimation CT of the L spine or pelvis is no longer necessary because you just simply pull it off that abdominal CT, but again, it's a targeted imaging. You have to acquire with thin sections from the get-go. If not, you'd have to go back and rescan a patient. We want to save radiation dose. We don't want to be rescanning patients. The other thing important at 64 slices better is isotropic data sets. Um, there's no need to oversample the data, and so particularly for smaller parts, the wrist or the foot are two good examples, base of skull, this becomes indeed very critical. 
And some other things become critical. Every scanner has different reconstruction algorithms. You think about soft, and you think about high-res algorithms. You think about in the lung, for lung parenchyma, we do high-res algorithms. For the mediastinum, it's soft tissue algorithms. Well, the same thing is true in bone. Now, it depends what your manufacturer is, Siemens, GE, Philips, Toshiba. Some people like Siemens call things kernels. Some people call it edge algorithms. But the high-resolution algorithm or the edge enhancement algorithm is critical for looking at detail in bone, particularly small parts. The soft tissue, a smooth algorithm, is really good for looking at the soft tissues. And as I'll show you in a moment, that the smoothing or standard algorithms are particularly good when doing 3D imaging. So if you look at this patient with a distal radius fracture, you can see the high-res bone images really give you a good look at what's going on. You can see the trabeculation so nicely. You see the fracture lines. Um, easy to understand. It's probably better appreciated when I show you the standard versus the high res in this patient with a distal radius fracture. Look how much easier it is to see the fracture in the high res images. But when you look at it, it almost looks like that image is out of focus on your left because it shows the soft tissues well, but that bone algorithm really gives you the detail of bone. So subtle fractures can easily be missed on a standard or soft algorithm. And here it is. I'm just going to press one, two, three, going back and forth, showing you specifically the difference between the two. And of course, with the high-res algorithm, the details you get in terms of trabeculation are indeed very, very impressive. One other point to make about this is you need to be careful on one portion of the study, and that is that if you use the high-res algorithm and you do a 3D, the images are very noisy. It looks like a snowstorm here. So what you want to be certain about is the text may need to be reconstructing several times, once for the high-res bone, once more of the standard or soft imaging, and that standard or soft data set is what's used for 3D mapping. And so this was a high-res kernel of 80 on a Siemens scanner, and it has a kernel of 40, and you can see how much better the bones indeed look. This also makes me remind myself to tell you that when you do 3D rendering in musculoskeletal, you could do it with more of a transparency, as you see very nicely in this patient with a fractured dislocation at the elbow. The bones very nicely show you the trabeculation. You really get a feel of the mineralization of bone. You can look at it also with very opaque imaging. Um, some people like opaque. It does give you a 3D feel, but I think the detail is best seen in the transparency. You could do both if you want, but I do like the transparency better. Another example in this patient with a fracture of the humeral head, uh, color or grayscale opaque is okay for looking at the fractures, and you do see them. But I think when you compare opaque to transparent, you really get a better feel of the orientation of the fracture fragments in the humerus. And you can see it here as well. So I do like the transparency. That's, again, a little bit of a bias, you know, depending what you do or don't like. But I think the transparency is much better in showing you the detail of the fractures. Very nicely shown, again, these additional images. I think another important thing to remember in bone imaging, we're going to do some... Uh, editing. So this is a patient with a gunshot wound to the pelvis. You can see the vasculature, the superficial femoral artery, for example, and the femur. And what you may want to do, in this case I don't see a fracture, but what you may want to do to look more carefully is use the computer to find that femur and then take it out. And now we're looking directly into the acetabulum. Again, very important for preoperative planning if there was a fracture present. 
or here I'm pulling out the femur to look at it alone. So again, editing this post-processing works very nicely. So let's take all those things we've talked about and look at an application. We'll look at pelvic and acetabular trauma. Questions to answer. Is there a fracture present? Extent of fracture? And how do we manage the patient? Recent article from Hopkins, multi-detector CT is today a valuable diagnostic tool for the evaluation of patients with traumatic hip fracture and dislocation. Again, it's critical. But it's not always just the more complicated cases. This was a patient who fell, had pain, it was an older patient, plain film was negative, axial CT or 3D nicely shows you the fracture of the femoral head. Or this example, same exact scenario, easy to see on the 3D, the impacted fracture of the left femoral head. This was read as negative on the plain films. Or this case, which surely even is going to be negative on the plain films because it's a subtle, non-displaced fracture, posterior column, left acetabulum, nicely shown in that regard. So those are good examples of what I mentioned before, where it's uncertain whether or not there's a fracture present. As opposed to this case, we're looking at the patient, you know there's a fracture, but the issue is what's the extent? So we see this comminuted fracture, right, very nicely shown. And we see displacement, but how much displacement is there? Hard to tell that on the axial. We know it's significant, but in the 3D views, now you see the impaction of the medial wall, the displacement, the impacted uh, femoral head. You also see diastasis of the right SI joint, very nicely shown. So as I go through the range of 3D maps in the right acetabulum, you really could see the mechanism of trauma, and you can see what's happened, and the surgeon really knows how to repair it. Another example, complicated injury with fracture extending into the iliac wing. Here I've pulled out the, the femur and let me show you why I do that. So we see the fracture and its extent. The question is what does the acetabulum look like? Is that involved? So you isolate the femur and then you take that and you pull everything out and now you have a good view of the acetabulum. You see the iliac wing fracture. These are transparent images. Here it is with more opaque images. You see the stents in the patient's ureter. Very nicely seen. You can put the femur back in. There's so many things you can do. Or this example. This patient had a fractured dislocation. The femur was reduced. Now you see the posterior wall, you see the fragments of bone, you see the orientation of the medial wall fracture of the posterior acetabulum column fracture. And again, by pulling out that patient's femur, as in right here, we can look directly into the acetabulum, see the details of the fracture, the anterior component, superior component, the involvement of the symphysis, all very nicely shown simply by walking through the patient's uh, data set very nice definition in 3D. And the surgeon will tell you there's no way they can see that kind of detail in the operating room. Another example. Patient had fractured dislocation. They could not reduce this fracture. So they're going to take the patient to the OR, but just but look what happened. You see the fracture dislocation, but notice there's an avulsion of a portion of the femoral head, which is literally still sitting in that patient's acetabulum. Look how the rest of the femur is impacted on the acetabulum. There's some fragmentation there. But the key thing as I sequence the images is this big piece of bone that was avulsed in 
the joint space. And you can see it very nicely here in the sagittal oblique 3D images. You can see it here when I pull the femur out, that piece of bone that came right off the femoral head. And you can see when I look inside the acetabulum, if I take that bone away, the acetabulum itself, at least the cup of the acetabulum, is intact. But there's no surprise why they couldn't reduce it. Look where that femur is sitting. It's behind the acetabulum, posterior placed. It's impacted. But what's also important is that piece of bone that's sitting there. So this patient needs to go to the OR, reconstruct this. Uh, again, the concern of this patient will be developing a vascular necrosis long term. But something intraoperatively needs to be done. Well, someone managed to reduce it in the ER, and look what happens. You reduced it, but it's not really reduced. You have multiple pieces of bone, including that large fragment of bone sitting in the acetabulum. There it is there. There's bone behind the posterior column, but this bone in the joint space means the patient's never going to do well. This patient needs surgery. That piece of bone either needs to be put back or removed. Uh, this did not help to reduce because you have that big piece of bone sitting there. So again, CT with management and understanding the good and the bad of what can happen. Another example, things like the sacroiliac joints, much easier to appreciate whether it's isolated or involvement as part of a ring injury. Very easy to see on the 3D mapping and here's just a few more images showing you that. Again, very nice visualization and in this case we also gave IV contrast because of the mode of injury and they were also evaluating the patient's abdominal organs. So very nice 3D reconstructions and again just take a careful look of the kind of detail we get about the fracture and the diastasis. Now I show this next case just to make the point that in a pregnant patient um, with trauma the mother's welfare comes first and we never argue about the patient's pregnant what should we do if you need a CT scan just do the CT scan and in this case we did not see any significant injury to the fetus though as noted the mother did have a fracture of the iliac bone let me end with one other thing in speaking about pelvic trauma and again this goes under the planning with pelvic fractures, acetabular fractures, it's not uncommon to get associated injuries, particularly bladder injury. Now with other modes of trauma, you can, particularly gunshots, colon injury, hematomas, vascular injuries are all possible. So the type of injury will make you think about what can go wrong. So if you have a pelvic fracture, you have a Foley catheter in, rule out injury to the bladder. Now you can give IV contrast and wait till the bladder is distended, but then you're going to miss 70-90% of bladder injuries. You need to go with 500 cc's dripped in, 500 cc's of saline, 35 cc's of contrast, drip it under gravity, and then you will pick up essentially all bladder injuries, whether it's intraperitoneal rupture or extraperitoneal. So example here of a normal bladder, nice opacification, you see the Foley. Example here of pelvic trauma, left acetabular fracture, pelvic hematoma and the bladder is displaced but there's no bladder injury or this case gunshot wound to the perineum you can see the air you would have to worry in this case about rectal injury you have to worry about bladder injury here's the bladder you see it's nicely distended there's a pelvic fracture on the right but it missed the bladder the bladder is well distended and as I show you the images in 3D, there's no contrast extravasation. Very, very nice visualization seen. No problem. Okay? Very simple. You can say there's no bladder injury. Compared to this case, you see fractures of the sacrum, the SI joints, big-time pelvic injury, 
big time bladder rupture, intraperitoneal extravasation of contrast material. Easy to recognize, easy to see, but CT cystogram is critical. So I've gone through some of the basic principles of trauma and how we designed the CT scans around that. I've looked at pelvic trauma and acetabular trauma as an example, showing you the tools we use. And why don't we take a break now, and then we'll come back and we'll pick it up with upper extremity trauma. Thank you very much for your attention.